Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. to the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur Podcast. This is Matt here, and I am joined this week by a very special guest. We've got Will back once again from uh, Exploding Helicopter. Welcome back, Will. Thanks, Matt. Uh, great to be here once again. Yes. Now, now you were on before for the Red Scorpion episode, and so uh, anybody who wants sort of the Exploding Helicopter origin story, um, we, we covered that <laughs> in that previous episode, so people can go back and check that one out. But this one, we're going to kind of dive right into the meat of things and kind of get right after it. Sounds good to me, Matt. Now, um, when I had come to you about coming back on the show here, I had mentioned the fact that, you know, I think maybe, I think we're like 70 episodes in and we have not done a Don the Dragon Wilson-themed podcast. And so I was like, oh, you know, uh, I saw Ring of Fire had an exploding helicopter. And so that's why I figured I'd come to you and say, hey, you know, let's do this. Let's maybe <laughs> give Don a little bit of credit here. Give him a little bit of, a, 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 of the spotlight. Well, I was shocked to hear that you hadn't actually tackled one of his films on your podcast before, because obviously, you know, he's somebody that uh, I think he's in your Hall of Fame on your website. So, yeah, I was a bit surprised that you hadn't got round to him on your podcast. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, and I think one of the things was he went on hiatus around like 07, I think, and he didn't do mm. anything for a while. And then. You know, he got back into it, I guess, probably while I was on hiatus. He got, I think it was like in the mid-2010s he, he got back in, and now he's, he is making films again. But I think that might have been what happened was it was like I had covered all of his films so long ago that it was like I almost kind of put him out of my mind, uh, unfortunately. you know, it's like, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I know, exactly, exactly. It's like everybody else is making new stuff. But, of course, that, that doesn't explain why I haven't done a Gary Daniels one yet either, and he, he he's still making stuff, so <laughs> you never know. But um, – but yeah, so we figured we rectify this. Now, one thing I noticed on your site, he is—I believe he's number four in terms of most films with exploding helicopters. Well, Matt, I actually have some uh, breaking news for you oh. because I—I uh, I have uh, just this very day uh, promoted uh, uh, Don the Dragon Wilson to uh, uh, second place in our pantheon of uh, actors who've been in the most films with exploding uh, helicopters because uh, uh, shame on me I'd actually uh, missed out a couple of films that he uh, appears in that have exploding helicopters so uh, he is now in second place and he's now uh, appeared in a total of 10 films with exploding helicopters so he's just one behind uh, Dolph Lundgren and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. 
Wow, that is amazing. Now, now wh- one thing I noticed when I was looking at the list before you, you, you updated it was this film that we're going to talk about, Ring of Fire 3, is the only PM Entertainment one that I saw on that list. W- did you add some extra PM Entertainment for him, or were they other films? Yeah, so it was a couple of PM Entertainment films. It's uh, Cyber Tracker 1 and 2 have now been uh, added to uh, to his uh, uh, collection of films with a chopper fireball. Excellent. Now, now Cyber Tracker is one that's um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit because it it's, it, it it features a similar type of exploding helicopter, I guess, a similar <laughs> method. So that that's what I'm really have to bring up. And yeah, when I remember I was looking at your list, I was like, wow, it's crazy that someone who you know even the fact that it's only a few PM Entertainments out of his ten still kind of shocks me that for someone who did a lot of PM Entertainment films, um, that that you you'd think that his his PM Entertainment number would be higher. Cause mm. I, I, I feel like that's a studio, that's a, a, a movie house that must have uh, uh, provided a lot of work for you at, at the site. Uh, they certainly have. And uh, I was uh, just uh, going through some uh, updating some other records as well. And, uh, uh, you know, so uh, Richard Pepin, who obviously is one of the founding fathers of PM Entertainment, um, you know, he has uh, directed the most films with an exploding helicopter and uh, he has directed nine films with an exploding helicopter, which is a, a, a ridiculously impressive ratio when you think that he's only directed 15 films in total and nine of them have, uh, you know, a, a, a whirlybird blowing up. That's amazing. And I wonder, too, like for him, like because um, I, I got the sense and maybe I'm wrong about this with PM Entertainment, that it between him and, 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 and Merhi. Um, it, it was almost like they they flipped a coin to see who would direct the movie the next time, and then you know he was like I think he was a cinematographer a lot of the ones that Mary he directed, but it's almost like he flipped the coin and got that many uh, exploding helicopter movies. <laughs> yeah, it would be really interesting to know like you know on how they divvied up the responsibilities. Like you know what you're directing this one, you know I'll do the DP work. I don't, I don't really know. I'd love to get an inside line on uh, how they decided to uh, you know switch the roles around between them on the on the films that they made. Yeah, and it seems like just about anybody was able to direct for them. It was like, um, I, I mean, Art Camacho is someone who's going to come up here in a bit. And um, I mean, he was, you know, relatively new in the business when he started with PM Entertainment. And I think that's how he got his start directing. I, I haven't looked. I haven't seen when his first directing roles were. Um, but I think that's how he got his start. Like, they were just like, they probably were like, yeah, if you want to direct this, go ahead, you know, and, and, and see how you do it. I mean, Recoil he directed, which is one of my favorite PM Entertainment. So it's not like he was any slouch when it came to it. But it, it almost feels like when it came to them, you know, especially if you were willing to probably do it on the cheap for them, you know, if they were, you know, oh, OK, you're going to direct this and not, uh, you know, charge us a lot. Sure. Go ahead and try it. And, um, you know, good on, on someone like like our Camacho, because I think he 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 kind of took his experience with PM and made it into something when he left PM that uh, you know allowed him to grow further in the in the industry. And I'm sure there are a lot of other people that did that, too, where they were just like, yeah, go ahead and do that if you want. As long as you don't charge us for it, we'll, we'll be happy to have you do it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, if you were prepared to uh, to work cheap, I think uh, PM Entertainment would, would be prepared to uh, to give you a break in the uh, in the film industry. And I guess, you know, if they had you've got Art Camacho directing, he knows what he's doing with a fight scene. And if you've got somebody like Richard Pepin as the, the DP on that particular film, then you you probably really can't go wrong, is it? It's, a, it's probably a quite a safe bet, actually, if you're if you're you know, if you're thinking about Murphy and Pepin with their business hats on, like they, they know that they're going to they're not going to get into any trouble if, uh, you know, with that type of uh, lineup and arrangement, no matter how inexperienced, say, uh, Art Camacho was at that time. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Because those are the two big things. Like uh, Pepin could really frame those scenes 
um, as a cinematographer, he could really get like those those explosions and recoil. For example, I mean, I, just, I remember like I mean, but in any of his movies, right? The way he he could frame those uh, those explosions and those fight scenes. But then, yeah, right. Art Camacho, um, you know, was a next level fight choreographer that they definitely leaned on for a lot of movies, including this one, um, to really kind of uh, you know to, to to get the most out of those those action films. Definitely. Now, um, one thing you brought up here, which is a really good point, um, as we kind of get into the synopsis of the film, is that this is the third in th- of three li- um, three uh, uh, Ring of Fires, and this one really doesn't fit with the other two. I mean, it, it, the character is the same. Um, so Don the Dragon Wilson is reprising his role from the previous two, and then um, uh, what was the, the actor's name? Um, Mike Mike Delano is that his? I, 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 my handwriting is horrible here. The um, the police officer that helps him out at the end, the detective. Um, I think that's mm. his name, Mike Mike Delano. Um, those are the only two characters that reprise their roles. But the original title for this movie was Lion Strike, and then you know Ring of Fire Three was sort of supposed to be the undertitle. The idea, I think, being that they didn't want to run into this issue of people thinking oh, this is the third one. I need to watch the first two before I watch this so I know what's happening uh, because it is bit, a bit more of a standalone than those other two. Uh, and, and what I found, I actually looked into it, is that the other two aren't available on streaming. So if you're looking to just stream this through Prime or Tubi or something like that, the only one you can get is part three. So yeah, that's probably a good point for people to realize that you don't need to watch one and two in order to understand what's happening in this one. Are there any other... Um elements that carry over because one of the things that I was um, speculating about was the fact that um, perhaps they decided to this was going to be a standalone film called Lion Strike and perhaps at the last minute they decided to um, you know for marketing reasons turn it into a Ring of Fire film and you know they just just sort of um, airbrushed some continuity in so you know giving the perhaps they gave you know, uh, uh, the dragon's character, the same name as in the in the in the previous two films. I mean, one thing I, I from reading up about the first two films, it didn't seem to me that, uh, you know, Don's character was a doctor in those two films. But uh, as I've not seen them, I don't know. So I don't know if you can sort of fill in uh, any uh, any sort of blanks there for me. Yeah, so the first one was one that actually had a lot of buzz when it was being made because um, Ring of Fire, the first Ring of Fire is like, a PM Entertainment take on Romeo and Juliet. Um, but of course, if, as you know, if Don the Dragon Wilson's here in part three, it didn't end the way Romeo and Juliet ended. So <laughs> he, he, kind of, he, he survived it. Um, but um, but that was the idea. It was, it was supposed to be, a, you know, like um, there's sort of Asians and Caucasians who um, are, are feuding. And then Maria Ford plays the Juliet type character. Um, she also survives because she makes it to the second one, and then um, she she dies in between two and three. But um, but that that one when when they first announced, you know, PM Entertainment is going to make an action version of Romeo and Juliet with Asians and um, Caucasians. Um, they I guess they, they got like a flood of 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 uh, headshots from from agents, people, you know, especially with it, among the Asian community, Asian actors. They were like, you know, let's, you know, mm. oh, you're going to be part of Don the Dragon Wilson's crew. Um, so it was like one of those things where I think they, they leaked it accidentally or something like that, and it went nuts, like that, you know, trying to get get that cast. Um, as a movie, it's not the best, but it, one of the funny things is you're talking about him being a doctor. He's in med school in that one. Um, he's a, oh, okay. A, right. He's, he's supposed to be playing somebody in his late 20s, I believe. Um, but you know, it, at that time, he would have been in his his early to mid 30s, I believe, or maybe a little bit older. Um, he was born in 54, but he's supposed to be playing somebody who's in school. And it 
it really, I mean, there's a scene that's almost like out of an 80s prom movie where he goes to this dance to meet Maria Ford. And he's like, and it's like a, a masquerade <laughs> dance. I mean, it, it's a very ridiculous movie. And, and, and it, it's almost like this movie, they're trying to repair some of the things that they tried in that other one. Because he's definitely an adult doctor in this one that fits mm. more with what his age and, and, and status was in life. Um, so, so that was part one. Part two, they bring back Maria Ford. They bring back a lot of the cast from part one in part two. And part two is more like a Warriors remake where um, Don the Dragon Wilson, it's it's always like with Don, it's like in these movies. And in the Blood Fist, too, it's like he just finds trouble everywhere, right? So it's like he can't go anywhere, right, without running into problems. So he's like he's picking out an engagement ring, I think, for him and Maria Ford. And the place gets robbed, and of course he takes down the robbers, and then I think Ian Jacklin plays one of the relatives of the robbers, and so he's never any good, right, when, in, in a PM movie. He's always up to no good, and so he, I guess... She gets shot in the in there in the robbery, and he kidnaps her in the sh um, when she's shot. So she's, you know, PM classic PM entertainment style. She's got a bullet wound that is, seems to be okay for her while she's down in this underground area, um, being kidnapped. And he fights his way through these gangs, um, akin to like the warriors, uh, to rescue her and bring her back. Um, almost probably also akin to Double Dragon, which um, uh, at that time I think I think that would have been around the time the movie came out for Double Dragon that was completely sautéed in wrong sauce. So it's possible that they, <laughs> they they were stealing from that. So so that's where you kind of get to this one, and then this one here, it's almost like they say, okay, I think you're probably right because um, when you look at the writing credits, it's like Wilson and Camacho I think developed the story, and then somebody fleshes out the script. So I think you're right that maybe somebody looked at their story and said, hey, what if we make this a third movie to to ring a fire? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's interesting to to hear the sort of the backstory on the on the first two films, and actually the, it does seem to to follow on a lot a lot more from um, uh, from those films that uh, than I initially kind of thought, because uh, some of the stuff I was reading, they seem to be uh, you know have one of those sort of classic uh, punch fighting tournaments in them, and I, I was struggling to imagine you know how how a doctor would uh, you know end up getting dragged into into one of those but i guess uh, you know uh, thinking that i probably reckoned without the uh, ever inventive ways that uh, pm entertainment could cook up to uh, crowbar uh, a fighting tournament into one of their films Yes, well, that's right, because I think, yeah, the first one's the one that had the tournament, because um, it has uh, Gary Daniels, I believe. He's in one of the two. I can't remember um, which one, but yeah, he's in one um, at, with a very small role, um, as, as Dar Daniels was wont to be at that time, where he was always in these, like, really scant parts. Um, and let me think. Um, yeah, there, there were a few other, you know, names, like Vince Murdaco was in those. Um, you know, none of those names were in this one. So it's like they kind of just got rid of them at that point and, um, and kind of just went with this one here. But, um, yeah, it was um, it, it. I think the guy that he fights on the roof in the first scene was also in the previous films. I think he's like a buddy of his. But, mm. you know, one thing you can kind of probably get a sense of um, from somebody, uh, you know, being from England, kind of understanding how the um, the the American uh, healthcare medical system works. You can see how Don the Dragon Wilson works really well for a for-profit hospital and that he is beating people up and sending them to the <laughs> hospital, which they can then go and bill the insurance for these broken bones and things like that. So you get a sense of how, it, you know, Don the Dragon Wilson's perfect for the American medical system, especially in the early 90s, you know, where, when there, there weren't even the regulations we had there. So, um, yeah, you're thinking about like, wow, you know, a, a, a doctor who is a kickboxer, it's actually for America, that's actually a perfect idea. Well, I reckon he probably gets a very healthy yearly bonus from his uh, employers. 
Yeah, and I think somebody makes that joke in, in, in part three, right, that the other doctor's like, you know, you're sending people here. You're not supposed to be, you're supposed to be helping people, not sending them here. But, you know, again, it's PM Entertainment. Fights happen anywhere. So you, you, you probably need a kickboxing hospital, uh, a kickboxing <laughs> doctor in your hospital just to be able to manage in, in the PM Entertainment world. Well, I was thinking that would actually be a great concept for uh, a PM entertainment film. You know, I was thinking, you know, say you have a hospital, it's in a really rough part of town, it's the wrong side of the tracks, and you know, trouble is always breaking out in the uh, breaking out in the hospital, and you need, you know, and you know, you've got, uh, you know, Don as a kind of a, as a doctor who's, you know, really invested in the community, doesn't mind you know, working for, for a low salary in this really rough hospital because he feels like he's doing some good for the community. But he's he's the only, you know, the police are nowhere. He's the only barrier stopping like all of these, uh, you know, uh, punks and thugs just sort of running, uh, you know, running rampant throughout the hospital. And you could probably spin some sort of... Um, you know, a drug plot on top of that, where there's some unscrupulous like executive at the hospital who's selling, uh, you know, drugs um, sort of on the black market and kind of using the hospital as a way of kind of getting those supplies. And, uh, you know, Don has to bring that man down. Um, and, you know, I was thinking that, you know, there's a real potential in that uh, concept for a hospital. I was sat uh, for a concept for a film. So, you know, sadly, born 30 years too late. So I can't pitch that to uh, to PM Entertainment. Yeah, I bet, they, I bet they would have loved that for sure because it does. It, it fits like all the boxes, and then maybe like he somehow brings the gangs together when he finds out that that executive's manipulating them all, right? And they they yeah. all kind of come together, right? It's one of those things. And so yeah, you could. I mean, the the, the characters you could put in that movie. The um, you know, you could have Evan Laurie and something like that. Art Camacho probably would be fight choreographer, but also would have a part, maybe a, a small cameo role. I mean, you could get everybody in that. Um, so yeah, they would probably they they would probably love the idea of something like that. And, um, you know, there would also have to be an ambulance flipping over, right, on the way to the. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah, so that would, yeah, so that would probably be. I don't think they ever flipped an ambulance, did they? That's a good uh, question. I mean, they flipped most things. Uh, I can't remember an ambulance off the off the top of my head, but uh, you know, if it had four wheels, then it's 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 generally kind of done a 360 through the air at some point. Right. So I mean, that might have been another selling point for them. Like, wow, we've never flipped an ambulance before. We could really do this here. So yeah, you're right. It's uh, unfortunate, you know, but that, that yeah, you know, if we'd only been born in the in the '60s and or late '50s and been able to pitch these ideas to them, um, yeah, because it seems like they would take it as long as you didn't want a lot of money for your script, you know, as long as you wanted it up there in lights, they would they would be happy to take it. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if it's not too late now to try and uh, try and get this project up and running. Yes, you could see, you could reach out to Art Camacho maybe and see like what he thinks about the idea. You know, he, he might be interested in going back to the old days and, and seeing what, what he could do PM Entertainment style. Um, now, just to kind of get, we'll go ahead and do a brief synopsis of the film, just to give people an idea of what this movie's about. And like you said, um, Donna Dragon Wilson is a doctor who is also a kickboxer, and um, I'm going to skip the very beginning part because that's where our exploding helicopter action happens. And just kind of give the basic idea. Um, it's your classic like Marx Brothers, um, you know, Alfred Hitchcock MacGuffin type idea. Um, I guess you know, they they were trying to figure out a way to switch bags, and so they decided that Don the Dragon Wilson, as a, a doctor in the '90s, has a house calls black bag that he carries around with him. And um, at the same time, we've got um, Marcus Aurelius and Michael Jai White who uh, rob a um, a mob boss. They, they break into one of his warehouses, uh, rip open his safe, and they take all the jewels and money in there, but they also take a three-and-a-half-inch uh, floppy disk with them. And that's the big thing that the mob wants because that 
three and a half inch floppy disk. It, uh, I, I guess, it has the codes for nuclear bombs, or it it allows the Russians. It's, it's something to do with nuclear bombs, so they could get their hands on nuclear weapons with this with this disk. Um, and it's all in that three and a half drive, um, so it's 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 very safe and in a very um, uh, solid form of of data management. So the, nothing wrong <laughs> could happen to it. Um, but then, um, of course, these the, 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 they 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 find out that the the White and Aurelius are robbing the place. So the mob goes in there, um, in classic PM style, a chase ensues, and the accident has to happen right in front of Don the Dragon Wilson. He goes to help out Marcus Rillis because he's a doctor, right? Of course, he wants to make sure everything's okay. The bags get switched. Don goes up to a cabin in the woods that his doctor friend has with his son. Um, oh, forgot to mention that the wife, um, Maria Ford, was killed off in between the two films. So she died in a car accident, not through any kind of... Uh, uh, PM Entertainment hokiness. Nobody, nobody killed her. Ian Jacqueline didn't assassinate her or anything like that. It was uh, just that she died in a car accident. But um, <laughs> the the mob goes up there after him um, to try to get the uh, the disc, and that's really kind of what happens. Is it's just a series of scenes where they try to get the discs. He um, fights them off, um, gets captured, fights them off, and and you know eventually there's sort of the the PM finale, right? In in a warehouse where everybody uh, takes everybody else out, and and you know. We all live happily ever after. Um, but, but, uh, <laughs> Will, what did you think of this movie in terms of, you know, the, the, the plotting, the, the, the action, all of that? Yeah, so I thought this film was very much a film of two halves. So um, I think the first half is really action packed and it has some of that classic uh, PM entertainment, um, surreal sort of nuttiness that uh, that you kind of know and love if you've uh, if you've watched some of their films. So, I mean, the I mean, this film gets off to a really uh, fast start. So um, we're thrown straight into this uh, big action scene on the top of uh, a skyscraper, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, and then you have um you know, and that's all tied into basically this mafia mob boss who um, his gang are trying to sort of smuggle out of uh, out of the hospital away from the police who have got him under arrest there. Then you have um, in classic sort of PM entertainment um, style kind of appropriate of nothing. Then this biker gang just decides to um, uh, kind of. Uh, uh, you know uh, invade the hospital and uh, it's down to uh, there's no security in this hospital part uh, well I guess you don't need any uh, security in the hospital when you've got uh, Don the Dragon Wilson on your staff so uh, he uh, he has to have a big fight with this uh, with this biker gang and uh, you know uh, you know for, for reasons you know you have a great moment uh, during this big fight where you know one of the biker gang suddenly rides into the hospital on a motorcycle I, I mean quite how or why you know what it doesn't matter it just looks great and that's why they kind of go with it and then and then we have the 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 sort of the disc hijacking scene and and that's all in um you know I was kind of keeping tabs on this that's all inside the first 22 minutes and um yeah so I mean it's a real action-packed first half of the film um sadly when one when things move to um the the cabin um, it does seem to uh, sort of slow down a bit and things just kind of get a little bit less interesting. It sort of film sort of turns a bit into uh, uh, the second half is a bit more of a sort of deadly prey, most dangerous game type slog. So, uh, yeah, I kind of thought the first half very entertaining. Then the second half, there's still plenty going on, but somehow it just doesn't feel it just feels a bit more routine. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I think 
when I first watched this, like the review I gave it, I said, oh, this whole thing was action-packed. Um, I realized I must have tuned out after the first like half hour or so because <laughs> I was feeling the same way. I mean, there, you know, when he gets up to the cabin, um, you know, you think it's going to keep moving in that way because the first thing that happens is they go to pick up supplies and they meet Bobby Phillips and they deal with the poachers, which um, I don't think there is a, 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 a maybe white slavers, maybe but the other or human traffickers might be the other one where it's like they're instant baddies and you just want to see them get taken down. Like they, they can't get beat up bad enough, you know? And so you see the two of them taking out these poachers, which was just fantastic. And and then it turns into this sort of romantic thing between them where he's like doing talking about what, you know, his wife dying and how, you know, his son's a good kid. And I think whenever you bring kids into it also, it, it slogs the film down. I think that's another part of it because you have to figure out what you're going to do with this kid. Mm. Um, and they do eventually pawn him off on an old farmer in the area. But, yeah, I think you're right there where it, it – it, and the other thing too is that that whole like who's got the disc kind of thing, <laughs> it, it you can only do that, you know – you know, missing. I mean, there are movies I've seen that have done it really well for long periods. I know there's there's that movie Bound that the uh, Wachowskis did before mm. Matrix to prove that they could make the Matrix, where the money was a thing that was kind of being moved around the apartments, and um, they did a good job of it that way of kind of you know keeping it there. Whereas I think here it, it, you have to be very creative to be able to have something, or you need to have multiple entities involved that are getting the disc. Like maybe if the Russians had taken it and. Yeah. You know, I think that's it's it just it, just that Wilson has it and they want to get it. You can only do that so many times, I think, before it does start to, to grind its wheels a bit. Yeah, unless the disc sort of changes hands. And so it's 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 always moving from it from one group to a new group. And so the challenge of retrieving it from them, is, you know, becomes new and different. Whereas here it's just, well, you know, Don's got it. And, you know, people are just trying to find it. And it just it just doesn't really uh, it, it's just not an interesting um, element um, for the film. Although, uh, I mean, I, I, I know missing discs were a very popular plot MacGuffin in the 90s, but uh, I, I think this film may may well hold the record for most lines of dialogue where people sort of ask questions about the disc. I mean, if you play, if you had a drinking game where you you know you took a shot of whiskey every time someone said you know some, mentioned something about the disc, I mean you'd be in a you'd be in an alcoholic coma within about the first half hour, I reckon. Yes, and, and it was interesting because it was it, a lot of the conversation regarding the disc was the main mob boss and then his underling who was chasing Wilson down, who was like playing this kind of like comedic, like mm. send up of the mob, um, you know, the mob tough or the mob henchman. Um, he was being played more for laughs, I think, even though he was walking around <laughs> with a gun and shooting people. It was seemed like he was being played. And, and it was just all these scenes of him calling saying, oh, yeah, we tried. There was like 13 of them and we couldn't get, you know, and of course we knew it was just Don that took them all out. And, you know, he was just being crazy. But but yeah, I mean, it was a lot of that. Like, who's got – we need the disc. you got to get it back. Okay, now we're going to send in the Russian guy, and he's going to get the disc back. And and then finally we, they go to where we knew they were going to go, which is kidnap the kid, hold the kid hostage, and have the big final exchange thing. Um, you know, like you, you know the moment that that old guy – that old farmer guy – takes in the kid that he's not long for this world, right? He's he's going to get it. And, um, and and one thing that surprised me about this movie is that they act, they didn't kill off Bobby Phillips or um, the, the police detective um, uh, mm. that, that works with him. Because usually those are people too. Like usually if you're – I mean the woman, sometimes she survives as the damsel in distress. But usually if you're a friend of the hero, 
you're going to get it at some point. For whatever reason, being a friend of the hero is like the most dangerous part in the position in, in, the, in the movie. Mm. Well, because uh, and I think you expect that to happen in this film because, you know, um, uh, you know, Don, I don't think he actually knows uh, what's on the on this disc, does he? And right. so like why, you know, so he could just very easily give this disc back. Like, why is he invested in keeping the disc? So you sort of expect them to do like to perhaps kill somebody, i.e., you know, um, uh, you know, Kelly, the kind of the love interest um, figure, you know, uh, played by Bobby Phillips, because then that would mean, OK, I now need to go and get revenge. It doesn't really, you know, could be somebody's shopping list on that disc. You've killed my you've killed my uh, prospective love interest. So now you're going to get it. Um, but, uh, you know, so you, you but this. Yeah. Strangely, the film sort of didn't go in uh, in that direction, which um, was a bit, you know, a bit of a surprise, not necessarily a pleasant one, though. Well, that's I think that's one of the things with having the kid in the film as opposed to the wife is that it's hard to kill off the kid. I mean, of course, PM's done it plenty of times. I mean, recall the example where where the kids got killed or where uh, Daniels's kids got killed off in that one. But that seems to be the problem, right, is you, you can't kill the kids off. And so it was almost like the film was spinning its wheels until it could get to the kidnap scene. It, 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 just, yeah. it, it wanted to try to fill as much as it could to get to that kidnap scene and then get to the end of the movie in the final fight. And, and I think that was the problem was that they wrote themselves into a corner like that and they had to figure out ways to, you know, add in fight scenes and flesh it out. And it did, it, it kind of grinded its wheels at that point. Yeah. And there's, and there's just sort of a lot of, in that part of the film, just a lot of sort of running around in the woods and, uh, you know, quite where people are trying to get to why why they're trying to you know people's motivations aren't a hundred percent clear in that moment and there's just the sort of the action scenes that are staged there just aren't terribly um interesting and yeah after the the first half of the film this 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 portion of it does feel just uh, you know a bit lacking frankly in imagination yeah yeah and i i feel like yeah if you're a stuntman in this movie like you're just waiting for Don to kick you in the head. And, um, and, and so it's, it is like, it's a kind of those, those scenes where it's like, you know, I mean, some of the things were good, but it was also like, yeah, like when they shoot up the, the cabin, you know, when he's there um, to try to get him and then he kind of sneaks out and starts taking people out. Um, it, it's, it's, it's like the, you get the, the initial payoff of the shooting up the, the house. that was kind of cool, but then yeah, when he's taking them out, it's kind of like, you know, um, He's he's kind of sneaking in, doing it stealth way instead of like getting into like a real big fight with everybody. Uh, and I, I think that you're right. It was it it was almost like it got to be like excitement by repetition. Um, only it wasn't that exciting either. Right? <laughs> so it, we were kind of in bad bad way. I think sometimes with PM to entertainment, you, the way PM entertainment's supposed to work, the way that their 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 philosophy is, is that each scene builds off the next one. Uh, so you you know you think of Recoil where they start off with this huge. Um, bank robbery that leads to a huge car chase and you think like wow what can they do to top that and then they do right they have even bigger scenes throughout or um, the sweepers another one like that um, this one's almost like this one kind of reminds me a little bit of t-force in that sense that they kind of give you the biggest stuff at the beginning and then it's like how do you keep it moving um, and and they they that one also it, it that one had some bigger scenes i think throughout i think that one's a little bit more fun than this one in that sense that it it didn't grind itself mm. Um, in that trouble, but it was almost like they 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 gave us the best stuff at the beginning and and couldn't keep it going um, with the way that the story went. It just it didn't it didn't have enough to to maintain it. No, and you know I, I think it, it does seem this film does sort of run out of steam 
um, you know, about midway midway through. But there's still, you know, we're sort of pointing out a lot of flaws here, but, you know, there's still like a lot to really enjoy here. And one of the, one of the things I really uh, latched onto in this film was the fact that just just how much it embraces uh, cliche here in terms of the in terms of the characterization. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, Don the Dragon, he's playing a doctor. So obviously he's he's carrying a stethoscope around with him at all t- at all times, just just in case you're confused as to what role he's playing here. Um, you know, we have this sort of um, the, the one of the ideas of this film is that you've got these uh, different, um, you know, criminal gangs from around the world coming together to um, pull uh, pull off this sort of nuclear weapons smuggling plot. So you have a classic group of uh, Italian mafiosi who are dressed in that sort of ostentatious gold jewellery type way, which was kind of what you picked, how you pictured sort of mafia people in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. Uh, the Russians all go around with uh, these Cossack hats on for, <laughs> for largely no reason. Um, the farmer that they palm the kid off on, you know, he's a farmer because he's wearing a massive pair of baggy dungarees. Um, you know, the poachers are all dressed in sort of denim and check shirts because, you know, I just, I just loved how, you know, there is, no, there, was, there is really no characterization here apart from basically people's wardrobe. Right. And, and like you said, like, you know, we talk about those those mafioso guys. They were just like such caricatures of, of you know, like the way they talk, the way they did things. And like you said, with the Russians, too. And then, you know, like Art Camacho comes in as a Colombian cartel guy. And that's his only part in the film, which I, I always get a kick out of seeing him in the movie because he's usually not, you know, he's always in them for like a small bit if he's in them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we never hear about the Colombians again. It's always between the Russians and the and the, the Italians at that point. Um, but yeah, it's it's oh, it, you're right about that. And then the biker gang, of course, they have to ride their yes. motorcycles into the hospital. It's yeah, it it, it that part of it, it is. It's what the way I love about PM Entertainment is that they 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 just I think they just went for it with that kind of stuff. Like just just you know, let's just put these people here and and do this and and, and not worry about it. I, I mean, I wonder today if you could get away with that level. I mean, I guess there was nothing really like too stereotypical about anybody, but um, you know, it. it but you're right. I mean, I mean, the Cossack hats I think was the best part because I don't know how um. You know, Southern California, I don't know, even if you're up in the mountains. Um, I, I mean, was there snow? I can't remember. Maybe they, I, don't I don't think so. No, because they sort of go fishing and right. they have a sort of picnic. So I don't really think, you know, it's meant to be. Uh, I don't think it's it's clearly not the warmest time of year, but uh, I don't. Nobody else is, is you know, swaddled in you know, hundreds of layers. So I can't think why some, you know, Russians who are pre- presumably used to like minus 40 feel the need to don their, uh, don their Cossack hats. Right, exactly. Now, now, one question I had for you was, um, when was the last time that you remember using a three and a half floppy disk for anything computer related? Oh, I mean, I mean, it's got to be at least, I would say about 20 years ago. I mean, maybe 17, 18 years ago, but certainly no later than that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was like early 2000, I think it was like 04, I, I had an old computer and I I thought, or I think somebody in, in one of my grad school classes in 04 had something on, on a three and a half floppy drive and i think it was like one of those things where people were scrambling to find a way to like read the information <laughs> like they couldn't find a disc for it but it's funny because i wonder what kids who grew up without that think when they go to save something on on you know a word document or something like that and they see this little icon up there 
I wonder if that if they have to like go on Wikipedia and find out what it means because like that's the enduring legacy of the three and a half, right? Is that whenever you save something, <laughs> it's still that little icon there, despite the fact that nobody uses them anymore. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a wonderful uh, hangover from uh, kind of times past. But you know, in, in much the same way that um, uh, you know that a, a sort of a, a needle scratch sound effect is still even now the sort of uh, a signifier of uh, you know somebody you know of kind of the natural order being disrupted so you know and um, you know when you know in this age of uh, you know digital streaming i mean you know do you know do, 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 do teenagers really understand what uh, that sort of needle scratch sound means yeah, or even where it comes from. Right. I was going to find, I guess like DJs, I think, still scratch um, yes. records. But but you're right, like that 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 kind of like the, the hard scratch kind of thing that we just sort of take for granted that, yes, it's like, and then suddenly, you know, everybody stops what they were doing. And, you know, somebody did said, said something offensive or something like that. And people are dropping their glasses and looking <laughs> with their mouths agape, right, at whatever happened there. Right? It's like, yeah, what, what are these things? Uh, you know, the other thing I noticed was that he referred to his, his cell phone as a cellular. He said, call me on the mm. cellular. So I guess that means that at that time in L.A., the cell phones were ubiquitous enough that you could call them cellular without cellular phone attached to it. But they weren't the, the truncated cell phone. Um, now, I know in England you, you refer to them as a mobile. Did, did you ever at any time call them a cellular or was it always just a mobile phone? Um, I think in the uh, sort of going back like 25, 30 years, I, I think there was a time where they, they were referred to as cell phones. And um, I, I think the sort of term cell phones and mobile, mobile phones was pretty interchangeable. But like now, nobody calls them cell phones at all whatsoever. So I think, yeah, that, that term has definitely uh, fallen by the well, uh, wayside. But, uh, you know, one thing with, uh, you know, the, the cellular phone in, in this was, you know, I, I don't know what... Um, you know, coverage of uh, mobile phones was like in the States in, in 1994. But, uh, you know, in the UK, if you went somewhere comparatively as remote as the as is suggested in, in this film, you had you wouldn't have had a hope in hell of getting a signal to so there would be no point in taking your cellular with you. Right. I, I remember uh, so I remember some people had car phones at that time, um, which I guess was a little bit different. But I remember one of my friends had one. He was like one of the first people I knew that had one. I think in 1998 he had one. Um, and I remember we were like uh, on the highway, but like also in a, in a relatively developed area. It's like he wanted to order a pizza and, um, I was calling and yeah, I had no service. Um, you know, it was just being on the highway, um, but not around enough buildings. So yeah, I, I mean, it, it was kind of interesting. And he was like, I mean, and of course the other thing too, is it didn't work, right? He gets up there and it didn't work. And I, I guess, was there this idea that when they were writing that, that they thought, boy, the audience is going to wonder why he doesn't use his cell phone when he's up there. Cause he's a doctor and all doctors mm. have, I mean, what did they, did they, they felt like they needed to add it into the film like that, but it was interesting. Yeah. He gets up there and of course he has no service. And um, the other thing too, is it right. It gave him a message saying he had no service, which I don't think that's how it worked either. That, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the phone would tell you you're out of this coverage area. I thought you just you just couldn't get anything, right? You couldn't you couldn't connect or anything like that. Uh, I think clearly technology has gone backwards since 1994 because you know you're getting these handy messages that you have got no service when you've got no service. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, now let's let's talk about the exploding helicopter actions because one of the things I realized when I read my review of the film was that I I think I mischaracterized the exploding helicopter a little bit um, in my review and maybe it was because I wasn't again I, I think I wasn't paying as atten much attention to the film as I, I probably should have been um, because I you know again I didn't 
really ding it too much for the lack of action mid, mid after the first half hour. So um, would explain why I probably didn't catch on as well as I should have to what was happening. But um, the way I describe it in my review is that some random old guy with an Uzi is shooting at Don the Dragon Wilson from a helicopter, and he he blows the helicopter up when that's actually not the case. It's actually a mob boss who is supposed to get moved to a prison from the hospital and his underlings arrange it so a helicopter will come and whisk him away from 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 the uh, the hospital and into safety so he doesn't go to prison just so happens that Don the Dragon Wilson our resident kickboxer slash doctor is on the roof of the hospital practicing his kickboxing skills when the helicopter comes in and of course for whatever reason the helicopter has to spray the area with uzi fire anyway to uh, alert everybody that there's a problem but um but yes he's sort of the, the fly of the ointment there he um he, the, the the mob boss is, is is there and he grabs an uzi because the helicopter pilot wants to escape and get out of there and and he he knows what the trouble that don the dragon wilson brings and he doesn't want any part of it but because the the mob boss is i guess it's his son or grandson or something like that. yeah some yeah. sort of relative right so he wants to go and rescue him um and he's got the uzi and the picture that i captured of course is this old man with an uzi firing at at don the dragon wilson um and then don uh escapes away from him um hangs kind of crawls to his really he's like hanging off the side of the building and then he with his pistol that he's taken off one of the mob guys he shoots the helicopter and it blows up with with the pistol fire um so i mean <laughs> well what did you think of, of this sort of this exploding helicopter series of events here uh well i always enjoy uh, an exploding helicopter so uh you know i, I overall uh, you know, I, I look on this scene very, very favorably. Um, you know, I think it comes as part of, uh, you know, a very entertaining sequence at the beginning of this film where you've got the, you know, the the, the, the mafia gang trying to smuggle this mob boss out of uh, out of the hospital. Um, in terms of the exploding helicopter itself, uh, I did think it was, you know, it's pretty cool as, as uh, you know, uh, Don the Dragon's being, um, you know, he's having to run across, sprint across the, the sort of the, the top of this building to escape the uh, Uzi machine gun fire. And then he's obviously he's hanging off the side of the building. And there's a pretty cool shot there, which uh, does suggest that uh, somebody, uh, probably a stuntman, is actually sort of dangling off the top of that building. Uh, I'm sure there's some sort of safety line uh, involved in there, but uh, still not something I would ever voluntarily do. So, uh, you know, props to the stunt guy there. And then we see, uh, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, things which, uh, you know, uh, are very familiar uh, to myself as somebody who's seen now a lot of exploding helicopters, which is the the pheno the phenomena of the uh, overly explosive uh, helicopter, because, uh, you know, just a few uh, rounds of uh, pistol fire from uh, Don the Dragon are enough to send this helicopter uh, into immediately exploding. Uh, you know, not it's not sort of damaged and then sort of spirals off somewhere before crashing, exploding or anything like that. I mean, it it, it, it instantly explodes, and I mean, it really explodes with a, a with a truly huge fireball. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's an example of phenomena we've seen a lot, where uh, yeah, very small arms fire can have you know a hugely damaging effect on a on a helicopter. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that like made me love that scene initially. Um, I, I think the thing that I realized, of course, is that it wasn't like they just pulled some elderly man out of a rest home and had him firing at, at, at Wilson <laughs> with, a, with an Uzi, which is the way I depicted it in the in the um, in, in the in the review. But rather that it, he was a mob boss and that he had a you know that 
it, it made a little bit more sense that he was firing the Uzi at him. But um, yeah, I mean, what, what's amazing is this is actually the second time that that Wilson has taken out a helicopter with a pistol. Which the other one I think was um was it the the um Cyber Tracker was that the or one of those right? I think that he I think it was the first Cyber Tracker where he did that where he he uh, used a pistol to to take out a, a helicopter. Uh, my memory on that one is uh, is virtual is, combat. It's uh, failing me, but uh, uh, you know it's 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 a it's a phenomenon that we've seen many many times before, and uh, uh, although it has I think died out a little bit in recent years, I, I think uh, filmmakers have realised that uh, you know aud- audiences are, are not quite as uh, not quite as I don't know they I think they're granting us a little bit more sophistication and realise that we're just not going to uh, believe that a that a you know that a vehicle capable of uh, flight is quite so flimsy. Right now, the, the other thing that, that kind of um, that that got me about this was that the explosion happens very early in the film. I mean, it's it's, it's within the first uh, five to ten minutes, and then later in the film, the the Russian with his 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 Cossack hat on, his big <laughs> is, is flying around in a helicopter, and it's almost like they're teasing us for a potential second one that never happens. Um, is, is that something for you? If you see something early, especially if you see it early in the film like that, do you expect like, oh, maybe I could get two out of this one? Uh, well, we, there, is, there is a, a, a phenomenon that we've uh, we've documented called uh, Chekhov's chopper, which uh, whereby if you see, if you see uh, a, you know a helicopter for uh, for sort of no discernible reason in the first act, you can be pretty pretty confident that it will uh, explode uh, somewhere uh, in the third. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of I didn't. Uh, I, I, I can only put it down to a sort of sixth sense. So when I saw that second helicopter, I didn't feel like it was going to get blown up. I can't really um, tell you why I thought that. I, all, all I can put it down to is, you know, the, the fact that I have now seen so many films with exploding helicopters that, uh, you know, I have some sort of you know, my subconscious is able to sort of process these cues, these, you know, uh, subliminal cues that filmmakers are feeding me. And and that one, I knew it was going to be safe. In other films, like, I can just tell, oh, yeah, this one's definitely going to explode. It's going to go up. But, I mean, it was almost like it was teasing us. It was like... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think how to, how to describe it. It's almost like um, if you were you were playing a video game where you had to like shoot ducks or something, and it was almost like if, or or cats or something like that. It was almost like if it was like between levels or something to see it like kind of floating around, you know, or like maybe like you you lost the match and it was like you know wanting you to count down to put coins in for the arcade mm. game or something, and you're seeing it kind of floating around. It's almost like it was it was teasing us as it floated across the screen there, um, like oh you know yeah you know we we could potentially have another helicopter, but like you said maybe you were able to kind of dis- that, that that wasn't going to happen <laughs> not through you know i just as i say not through any great sort of magical powers i don't know just some sort of sixth sense that uh, that i seem to have but one one element um sort of slightly tangential to the exploding helicopter was you know we we see this this start of the film and you know there's this this mafia all this mafia business that's a ho- at the hospital you know don the dragon wilson is a doctor he immediately goes into uh you know action hero mode gets hold of a pistol shoots at least five or six people then blows up a helicopter um now i don't know about you know uh, i don't know about you know places you've, you know places you've worked you know kind of former <laughs> employers if i had if i had shot to death uh, half a dozen people and then blown up a helicopter off the top of you know on the top of the the roof of my of my office building you know, I reckon I'd probably be suspended from work for, you know, they may not attach any blame to me whatsoever. 
but I'm I'm probably still facing a, a period of suspension for some sort of period, but not not at this hospital because you know Don's Don's back with his stethoscope dangling around his neck, seeing patients within minutes of uh, all this going down. Yeah, that's a good point. I think at the very least they would want you to uh, take the day off just because you might be <laughs> traumatized, right? By the, the you, you might you might be hard to kind of get back into to doing work with the the adrenaline rush of having to kill five people. Like, right? You're they're probably gonna wonder if like maybe they need to talk to you know the HR representatives and have you talk to one of the the, the therapists at the hospital or something, right? And instead, no, you're right. He's just there with his charts and his his, his stethoscope. And I mean, and the funny thing is what it is, right? That that's 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 weighing heavily on his mind. Is the fact that his wife has been killed, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. the, the the fellow doctor is telling him. Like, why don't you go get away from this for a little bit and go up to the to the mountains to sort of get that off your mind? Not the fact that you killed five people and blew up a helicopter and you know were hanging from a you know watched your friend, right? Your sparring sparring partner was also killed. Um, I have trouble with that word with my New England accent, sparring. But uh, <laughs> the sparring partner, um, yeah, right. You 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 know, and and, and you didn't even talk to anybody, right? There's no no therapist or anything like that. He just gets right back into it and uh, uh you know it's funny i think my, my wife was saying because she would watch the show manix um you know they, they show the reruns yeah. of it here and i guess that the the actor that played him said that he thought that the the show should have done more to talk about sort of the ptsd that his character would have experienced of having been shot at so many times and beaten <laughs> up and and you know all the things that he experienced yeah. on that show and and it's funny with these movies there really isn't that aspect of it right like his kid um his kid seems perfectly fine to go fishing yeah. with him after having been kidnapped um yeah like everybody's okay at the end right you know that everybody does okay with all of this stuff yeah i mean uh you know psychotherapy sort of you know you started get you know that was like huge in sort of 80s movies and you know 80s you know 80s tv you know obviously like things like star trek next generation suddenly you've got you know uh the you know uh what's her name as the as the counselor you know because you know uh you know everyone's got you know issues and trauma that they need to like process and digest and uh you know so you'd, you'd think with a film made at this sort of period that you know with that in the in the kind of public consciousness that uh there'd be at least some reference to it you know maybe we don't see much but you know at least somebody sort of says oh you're gonna have to go and see the you know the the the, the counselor you know the psychologist or whatever uh after after all of that but uh you know uh you mentioned um you meant you you, you mentioned uh bobby phillips and and the whole thing with uh with uh don dragon's character kind of uh, losing his wife and you know there's a there's a little scene with his with his son where he sort of says oh you know he he, he sort of says he wants a he wants a new mom and I, I i guess there's this idea that sort of you know you know don's been a bit slow getting back on the dating game against after his bereavement or or, or whatever and that, so it sort of sets up this sort of sense that you know he he can't face sort of you know um but you know perhaps going and meeting somebody new but literally then he meets he meets you know kelly the the gamekeeper and he, within within minutes he's arranged to have dinner with her i mean he's he demonstrates some serious uh he's got some serious moves here in terms of uh you know kind of clo- close it going from meeting somebody to closing the deal i mean i was, I was seriously i don't know why uh i don't know why his son was worried about him ever meeting somebody is it clear you know don's clearly a real player in this film yeah, and actually, now, you, now that you mentioned it, I'm sure the hospital has plenty of, of single female staff members that would have probably, you know, been encountered. I mean, I mean, considering all the fights that happen in, in, in that hospital, right, mm. with the biker gangs invading and all of that other stuff, that there would have been a similar moment to the poaching situation. <laughs> 
um, <laughs> that you would think he would have gotten on some dates with someone. So you're right, like how quickly he works there with Bobby Phillips. Um, it, it, you're amazing. And, and, you know, the other thing you mentioned about the psychiatrist thing is a lot of times the way these movies would do it, right, is that it would be – that would be the female lead, right? She would be in like some yeah. kind of like, you know, like skimpy uh, business suit type outfit. Um, maybe with her hair up, and she would kind of be trying to like psychoanalyze them, right? Exactly, glasses, right? But then there'd be the scene where all of that's off, right? And they they have dinner, they're drinking wine, and then there's a love scene. So I mean, it would have been a great way to use Bobby Phillips to either have her as the as the ranger, but you know, they could have had her as the psychiatrist, you know, there, like you know, like you know, like why are you so cold? Like how could you know you just shot five people and you're you're perfectly fine, you know? And, well, it's what I gotta do, you know, da, 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 you know, and, and then like you know, kind of breaks it down. I mean. I mean, that was part of the problem, right, is that these guys can't really show emotion, so you had to have the female there to, to be the emotion, right? And, uh, and, and, and So, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's always kind of how they did that with a psychiatrist. So it, was, it always was like the, the, the hot female lead was playing that part. Yeah, and I, I think the whole, the whole thing with um, uh, Bobby Phillips' character um, actually uh, threw up one of my favorite moments in the film where uh, he's kind of got her to his cabin they've had dinner they've had a little sort of romantic uh, romantic chat and they've had a little they've had a little uh, kiss and then um you know uh, you know don's son sees this and he sort of uh, goes yeah cuz you know he's going to get a new mom now and 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 don pulls like a kind of funny face at his son after the kiss which it's just which if you've watched a lot of Don the Dragon Wilson films. I mean, it's so unexpected because he's just not uh, a, a, an actor given to sort of goofing around really at any time. And, and I just thought that was that was so unexpected. It was an absolutely brilliant moment for me. Yes, I was. I, I agree with you there. I mean, yeah, he was. It, it was. It was almost like I think the story and 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 there was a sense that he was like trying to do some stuff here that he didn't normally do as an actor um but ultimately you know like what we look for is just the fight scenes and things like that but i i think like yeah he wanted to get into this idea of the character bereaving uh the, the wife passing um and and you're right like he, he kind of really didn't do it too much it was still more of that kind of like that that wooden um emotionless like oh yes i'm getting over my wife dying oh it's bad and all that stuff and then yeah, the, to, to see that happen you're right where the, the i mean the whole thing was just kind of weird too the sun is kind of in the, the like the, the cabin doesn't have any other rooms to it so the sun is just there in the bed um while they're having their date next to it um it was just like it was like the whole thing was really and, and bobby phillips of course seemed perfectly fine with it because you know you could see for her the crop of men up there where they're living is not very great so she was just like this is this is amazing this guy is is, is taking to me like this i'm i'm gonna take it however i can get it at this point and, um so, yeah, so so she was fine with it but yeah you kind of almost feel bad for don that you know like i think that was the thing that with, with the kid they just didn't know what to do with him they didn't know where to put him or what to do <laughs> well i i think yeah I, I don't think any as you say i don't think anyone really knew you know he gets foisted on this farmer then he gets kidnapped and you know we mercifully we don't really have to see him much off after that until the sort of slightly cheesy uh, picnic scene at the end of the film yeah so it's great which, again the, the temperature was, was was good enough for just flannel shirts and vests i think there was no need for uh, for cossack hats or anything <laughs> like that well, I think that just about wraps us up here, though. Um, before we get into social media and all of that, uh, Will, Will, any other thoughts on this film or Don the Dragon or any of this stuff? Um, well, there is one thing, uh, just briefly, I just thought I'd quickly highlight. Um, at, right at the beginning of this film, there, uh, when we see the um, very cliched uh, homies 
um, steal from the uh, steal from the mafia. So we see, uh, you know, uh, Michael J. White uh, in a very early role here. Um, that scene where they, they 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 carry out this theft is there's a there's a continuous long take tracking shot, which, you know, it's the sort of thing that, you know, you see you know people endlessly uh you know uh cre- creating these long youtube videos you know kind of you know uh, extolling the virtues of uh, that tracking shot by martin scorsese in goodfellas where you know ray Otter's going into the restaurant but you know here we've got pm entertainment just throwing one in to a low budget action film and it is it's very well staged goes on for at least um sort of 90 seconds two minutes it's actually you know when you when you're watching it on screen it's actually quite a considerable amount of time so it must have been um taken some real painstaking filmmaking to to set up and, and pull off and i think we should give you know props to uh to the to uh you know to the crew who shot this film for for, for pulling uh for pulling um that off so uh yeah in terms of in terms of this film i i think um it's it's you know the first half is really where the best stuff happens um it's pretty decent uh you know i've seen quite a lot of don the dragon films here and i think you know i don't know what i don't know what your favorite is matt but i think um you know cyber tracker 2 may well be my favorite uh don the dragon uh wilson film i saw that very very recently and I wasn't really expecting much of it, but I was seriously impressed by that film. There's uh, there's some uh, really, really good action in that film. Great car flips. Um, there's some very amusing, um, actually works quite well, kind of comedy woven into the first half of the film. So I think in terms of, uh, you know, this for me sits kind of slightly above the middle in terms of, um, I think, uh, uh, you know, Wilson's output. Um, and in terms of my favourite, I'd probably go Cybertracker 2. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, this one is definitely. I think it's up there. I think for for its PM Entertainment stuff, this is definitely um, one of the better ones. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Cyber Tracker too, because the funny thing was, I, I'm trying to remember what I thought of the first one, but I remember being like, oh wow, this you know this second one here is is so much better than the you know like I wasn't expecting mm. it to be. Um, which you know, it, it's funny because I think that happens a lot, right? That the sequel is usually just a cash grab, and so um, yeah, I I remember that one. Um, the Blood Fist ones, I think it's Blood Fist Four that had Gary Daniels in it. Um, that I really liked the fight scenes in that one. That one I I, I was really a, a fan of. Um, so yeah, I think those few there for me, because yeah, you know, with the Blood Fist, it's hard because you know you know you're watching something that's really not like. Uh, they're not there's there's no continuity there so it's just mm. kind of like let's throw down the dragon wilson in a situation where it's him against the world and maybe some woman helping him um so yeah i think i want to say four it's four or five one of those two is, is is my favorite and um i just can't remember which one it was that had daniels in it i think it was four i've not uh, delved into the uh, blood first uh, series yet but uh, there's there's eight of them out there so uh you know i've got uh, a good chunk of uh Don the Dragon Wilson to get stuck into yet, which is actually that reminds me of one thing I did want to mention about uh, uh, about him as a, as an actor is that I I really admire the way that he has embraced throughout his whole career that he is Don the Dragon Wilson. I mean, a lot of these actors, you know, they kind of develop a profile, they get famous, and they want to ditch 
their nickname they want to ditch their tagline you know i'm i'm thinking of you know somebody like the rock who mm-hmm. you know couldn't wait to move away from dwayne the rock johnson to just being dwayne johnson whereas you know don has embraced you know i am don the dragon wilson that's what i was at the start of my career and that is what i will be known until you know i stop making movies and i i i really admire how he has uh, yeah just ne- never had any you know uh, idea about you know i'm i'm you know i'm too big now for my nickname i'm you know he is just always don the dragon wilson yeah and i think also too you know cuz especially now that he's doing more movies there wasn't a sense too of like yeah i i'm like you said i'm too big for the nickname or like i want to be a, known as a serious actor um so stop calling me you know you're right about that that he he still now when he does movies it's still don and then the dragon wilson um he still <laughs> sticks with it which I, I think you're right i agree with that i think i think there is a sense that he really gets what his fans want out of a movie from him and and i i think that's something you always have to appreciate that he he's always like, like he was considering a usc career when when that was first taking off and i remember he used to be the commentator for the early ones like the the first like four to five of them he was he was the um the commentator mm-hmm. and he had said like oh, I'm, I'm considering you know doing this you know but you know i want to see if people have any interest in it and i guess everybody said no nobody was really all that interested in seeing him fight in, in a tournament like that um so he didn't do it he just didn't bother with it he didn't see there was interest in i think that is one thing for him is that he he recognizes that people see him as the dragon. His fans want the dragon. And and I, I think he wants to, you know, he feels like, okay, you know, this is, these are the people that are there for me. There's the people that are stick with me. I mean, I, I think like if he's like in like, I think when he was in the Batman movie and things like that, he was just Don Wilson. Um, but, you know, on the cover of his movies, yeah, it's still Don the Dragon Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get the sense of, you know, I've not met the guy at all, but just I get the sense that he is just a very unpretentious man and just somebody who's sort of not not burdened by, uh, you know, a sort of big ego or, or anything like that. And I kind of get the impression that, you know, uh, you know, he's he's just a really nice guy. I, you know, one of those people just sort of who never has a bad word for anybody else. I, mean, I say very, very little evidence to uh, to, to really sort of support that. But it, it, that is just sort of the uh, impression that I have of him. And, you know, I think that's why, um, you know, I, I find him sort of very endearing as uh, as an actor, you know, despite the fact that he is, let's be honest, quite limited, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I just find him, he's, he's got that endearing quality. So very happy to sort of overlook his uh, shortcomings. Yeah, I totally agree. It's funny. I saw um, this movie Death Fighter that he did in like the mid 2010s where um, he was acting opposite um, Matt Mullins, who's kind of an up and comer. Um, who's It's funny. He, he was born in 1980. So we think of him as being young for this, right? You know, he's like 40 <laughs> this year, but he's like considered a young up and comer with this kind of thing. But um, it was funny because you could see him acting opposite Matt Mullins where it's like you could see Don's experience show through where it was like he was used to being on camera. He was used to doing scenes and, and all of this. And, and it's funny because I think when we look at PM Entertainment, a lot of times he was cast opposite people that had experience, you know, someone like a, like a, um, a Mike Delano or, or, or um, you know, somebody who had been in a lot of movies before and, you know, a lot of uh, small parts, but, you know, a professional actor who had been around for a while. And you could see how limited he was against one of them because, yeah, they had been doing this forever and, 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 but, you know, when you see him opposite somebody who's still who's new to it themselves, suddenly you see that experience shine through with him. Um, but uh, there's also a sense, too, in that movie where he really wanted to bring Matt Mullins along. He wanted to show what Matt Mullins could do, um, which I really appreciated as well, that he's you know, he he is excited for the future of, of what this is, which I think uh, I appreciate, too, that he's not he wasn't trying to outcompete Matt Mullins or trying to, to yeah. show him up or anything like that. 
No, I think all 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 reflects really well on him, and it's why why he probably you know remains uh, you know such a solid sort of fan favorite. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And again, you know, he puts out movies like this where it, you know he's he's just a great martial artist. It's just always good to watch him uh, take care of business like this and and do what he does. Now, now at this point, I guess we'll, we'll kind of do the, uh, the, the, the the social media part. So, Will, where can people find you? Yeah, so if you uh, want to uh, find out a little bit more about the strange way uh, helicopters explode in movies, then you can come and uh, check out my website, which is explodinghelicopter.com. Uh, uh, I also uh, run uh, a podcast as well, so you can find us on uh, all the major sort of uh, podcatchers. Just uh, type in um, Exploding Helicopter. If you want to um, hook, uh, if you want to sort of uh, hook up with me on social media, yeah, I'm at Chopper Fireball on Twitter. And if you just sort of, you know, type in uh, exploding helicopter into, uh, you know, things like Facebook, Instagram, um, you'll you'll find us fairly easily. So uh, yeah, come and uh, check us out. Yeah, and one thing I want to mention too, because I've kind of myself with the with the whole quarantine and coronavirus thing, where I'm falling into more like reading rabbit holes i think in the past i i you know i, I recently i recent past i wasn't reading as many blogs as i was like listening to podcasts and things like that because you could do them while you're doing other things um one thing i really like about your site is that and, and i had forgotten about but kind of like when i was going back to look at it again with with more time um it's not just the, the exploding helicopter part like you also give facts about the movies and 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 you know a really great uh you know uh commentary on it it's always really fun to read and and funny so it's it's it yes the exploding helicopter is part of it but also it's, it's sort of a full synopsis so people get a good sense of the movie um one thing i learned when i read your um navy seals versus zombies review um <laughs> was that i didn't realize that the the u.s army um actually loans out navy seals and other servicemen mm. for movies if you make the movie like this kind of jingoistic rah-rah you know go army kind of thing um because it has to be a propaganda piece right in order for you to have those troops yeah. that totally colored my, my understanding of the movie because i was like why are they doing this whole like you know soldier's life part of the movie when it's supposed to just be navy seals shooting zombies <laughs> and then when i read that part i was like oh that makes sense they had to shoehorn that in which of course made the movie kind of slog down and all of that yeah, there's nothing um, as worrying at the start of a film as seeing one of those messages that comes up saying, you know, made with the full cooperation of the, you know, the uh, American military, because, you know, you know, you're in for some, uh, you know, for some real, you know, uh, jingoistic, uh, you know, rah rahing. <laughs> Yes, and it, 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 it totally colored my thought. Like I, I was wondering like why they made the movie the way they did, and then I was, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense now that I know that. And um, yeah, I mean, those are facts. I think those, so. I think for people like you know, one thing I would sell about your site is that it, yes, the exploding helicopter part is there, which is great. I think it's a kind of a cool thing too, especially to check you out on Letterbox and see all the movies with exploding helicopters for people to like plan a, a bad movie night maybe around uh, you know, different exploding <laughs> helicopter ones. But, but the, the reviews themselves of the movies, they're kind of, they're, they're, they're full reviews. They're, they're not, you oh, know, yeah. They're, yeah. And I think that's a, they're really great. Especially I, I think for me, especially, I think a lot of people though, I'm noticing like the, 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 the site is getting more hits than the podcast, I think, because for people, you know, in this time, um, there's more blog rabbit holes. I think it, it, you, know, you can kind of go through a lot more in a blog rabbit hole, whereas like a, a podcast rabbit hole, it's like you kind of go and then you're stuck for an hour and a half doing the podcast. And then it's like, you know, then you might listen to another episode. But, you know, in that same hour and a half, you could do like five or six blog posts. 
Well, it's only taken a global pandemic to get people to read my website. So uh, <laughs> well, well, I had read I'm not before. sure what I should think or make about Well, no, I was thinking for my site, the same thing, that it seems like uh, it, it, it seems like nowadays people don't read as much as they used to. Like, I think it's, you know, the, with a busy mm. life, it's like, you know, OK, the podcast is something I can listen to while I'm making dinner, while I'm, you know, doing these reports for work or something like that, where it's like, you know, reading, it's like you, you got to set aside some time to do it. Whereas now it's like, you know, like I might set aside time to like read your most recent post or something like that. But they kind of dig in and like read older posts. It's like, oh, you know, now you, you kind of can do it. You know, you can go to IMDb and see like who reviewed the movie that you want to look at and say like, OK, here's everybody's post. I'm going to read all their posts. And um, yeah, it, it's, it, I, don't know, I, I feel like for me, I'm doing more rabbit hole uh, reading than I did before. Well, if yeah, you know, if uh, some of that is bringing you to my website, then all power to you. Yes, but definitely. And I want to also plug your Twitter because um, you post really great uh, uh, gifts and, and scenes from from exploding helicopter movies, and there, there a lot of them are hilarious. Um, I think one of them recently was <laughs> Alien Three Thousand, which I really loved. Um, so I, those are great too. I think people should definitely follow. You. It, at the very least, to get those little tidbits there, you mm. know, watching those pop up on my dash are always fantastic. Yeah, I try and post, uh, you know, a clip of an exploding helicopter from a different film uh, every day. So, yeah, and some of them, you know, uh, you, you, as if you, uh, if you start following me on Twitter, as you will find out, uh, some of these scenes are absolutely bonkers. Yes. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, hopefully we will bring a little entertainment into your day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a, it, it's a part of the movie, the action movie that we all, you know, kind of recognize as a fun part of, you know, the exploding helicopter, but the ways in which it happens, I think, you know, you, you know I think for all of us, like we may see like one or two of these crazy ones, whereas you've seen a lot of them. And so you, it's almost like a one-stop shop to kind of get it. <laughs> and, and again, I think it's, it, it draws people to, you know, like, you know, for a bad movie night to, to kind of see something like that. It's like, oh, this is a really great uh, inspiration for a bad movie night. I think to be like, oh, here's one bad exploding helicopter. Let's see some other ones that have it and sort of, you know, watch like two or three of these exploding helicopter movies in a night you're giving me an idea for uh, hosting a festival now matt <laughs> yes exploding helicopter festival i like that that would that would be uh, you know i guess it would be remote now but maybe in the future it could be something that yeah a theater hosts and uh, yeah have, have, have some of the greats i have some of the all-time best yeah there. coming <laughs> in 2021 absolutely well well thank you again will for coming on it was another great episode i really enjoyed having you on and uh um yeah and, and thank you everybody for, for listening to the uh, direct video connoisseur podcast we'll be back soon bye everyone
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.